0: Hey, everybody. It's Baudelaire. Now, just about every day, you hear us introduce the show as a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Most of the time, the places we profile are uplifting, or they're testaments to human creativity. But sometimes, we need to visit places that have darker histories, places that have been overlooked not because they're in some small town or because they're off the beaten path, but because the stories of these places are difficult to confront. And because sometimes, these places have actually been kept out of the history books. Today, we're going to visit one of those places. Let's begin with a story. The story of a mother. The guy telling this story is Ato Ashun, who spoke with me from Ghana.
1: A woman had two kids. She was going to the market to get something for the kids. Just when she stepped out of the house, war broke out. Every effort to go back to her to the house to take care of the kids failed. So she was captured. She was brought to the Almina Dungeons. She survived the dungeons. She survived the middle passage. And she ended up in, say, in America today.
0: Now, that's not the story of any specific woman. But we know that this story happened repeatedly. Mother's kidnapped torn away from their children. That happened. And it wasn't just mothers. It was fathers, grandparents. It's a real story. And the Elmina dungeons that Otto mentioned are a real place. They're part of Elmina Castle, a so-called slave castle on the southern coast of Ghana. I've been to Elmina Castle. So many of you might have heard the episode Journey to Black Star Square I made about the first day of my visit to Ghana. If you haven't heard that episode... Feel free to pause this and check it out. But I'll sum it up real quick. My trip was in February of 2020, just a couple months after the end of 2019, which was dubbed by the Ghanaian government as the year of return. This was to commemorate the 400 year anniversary of the arrival in 1619 of enslaved Africans to what is now the U.S. And here's the thing. Here in the U.S., the chapter in the history book about slavery usually starts with the slave ships taking the Middle Passage across the Atlantic. They talk about the auction block and the experiences of plantation life. But we don't ever learn about what happened before the slave ships set sail. We don't learn about the kidnapping and the imprisonment in the slave castles of West Africa. Today on Atlas Obscura, we're going to visit Elmina Castle, the oldest slave castle in all of West Africa, where at one time, 30,000 Africans a year passed through. The story of this place is difficult, but it's important. So stay with me. We'll go inside Elmina Castle after this.
2: If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
1: My name is Atu Atu Ishan. But, but, but you know, in Ghana, most people carry two names, what they call the Christian name and what they call the African name. So my other name will be Clifford Ishan. But uh, ever since I started working at the castle, I used the name Atu.
0: Atu Ashun is a native of Elmina, which is a fishing town on the southern coast of Ghana. He's also the head of 14 castles for the central region of Ghana. And from time to time, Otto leads tours of Elmina
1: Castle. Some people see what they do at the castle or the dungeons as a work or a job. But I don't see mine as a job. I see mine as a calling. A calling to connect the past to the present and then project the present to the future.
0: A lot of people, especially in the West, hear the word slave castle and don't really know what to think. Before my trip to Ghana, I didn't know much about slave castles. Like most Americans, my knowledge of slavery was all about what happened after enslaved Africans made it to the Americas. But slave castles are basically fortresses in West Africa where captured Africans were kept in dungeons and, quote, prepped for their journey across the Atlantic. And the Castle at Elmina is the first one. It was built by the Portuguese in 1482, which you'll note is over 130 years before 1619. The city's name actually comes from the Portuguese word for mine, as in... Elmina. So when the Portuguese originally built this fortress, it was to store gold. But not long after, they pivoted its purpose to the budding and more lucrative slave trade. And once that happened, Africans from all over West Africa were kidnapped and brought to Elmina Castle.
1: There wasn't only Ghanaians that came to the dungeons, but as far back, Nigeria, Togo, Burkina Faso, d'Ivoire, all these areas could have entered
0: into the dungeons. All right, so one morning, my fiance Renee and I woke up real early at like 5 a.m. We were staying in Accra, the capital of Ghana, and Almina is about a three or four hour drive. The sun was barely up and we were tired, so we were pretty quiet for most of the drive. Plus, I think we were both thinking about what was to come. You know, We knew it was going to be a really serious trip and we didn't know what to expect. When we finally pulled up, we were struck by how big Elmina Castle is. It's a giant white stone fortress sitting right by the sea. And in total, the land it's on equates to about two football fields. We parked our car and joined the tour group right outside of the castle. You know, usually right before a tour, you're excited for what you're about to see. But outside the castle, there was a somber feeling amongst all of us. To get into the castle, we had to cross a moat via an actual drawbridge. There was no water in the moat, so as we crossed, we looked down and we could see it was extremely deep. Once we walked in, we were in this huge courtyard with the sun beaming down on us. It was extremely hot that day, but we all just stood there and took in the scene. Eventually, our tour guide tells us the tour is going to begin, and we crossed the courtyard, and our guide leads us through a stone doorway with no door into a smaller courtyard. On either side were two of the main dungeons one for the men, And one for the women. They were separated on purpose. Their kidnappers saw this as a way to break any bonds and relationships. We all just stood there. We were just in awe that these were the actual spaces where our ancestors, the kidnapped Africans, were held before being shipped off to the Americas. After a moment, we walked into the female dungeon, and the first thing I noticed was just how small this room was. It felt packed with just our tour group of about 15 people. But then our guide tells us that this dungeon would hold about 250 women at a time. We were all
1: speechless. They will sleep on the bare stony floor. We'll be given food once, twice in a day, and they will be forced to defecate on the floor and be sleeping in it. I mean, such, such was a horrible condition in the dungeon. I tell people, that if you think about the women, for example, you look at the they going through their menstrual periods and, and in the midst of all that, sleeping in it. I mean, there's something unimaginable. It's unimaginable.
0: This next part of the tour was pretty difficult to hear. So I want to warn you all that we're about to reference sexual assault. For anyone who'd rather not hear this part, skip ahead 60 seconds on the episode. As we left the female dungeon, our tour guide pointed out that the courtyard was overlooked by the governor's room.
1: Now, whenever the governor wanted, because of his position, there is a balcony overlooking the female's courtyard, so the governor stood over there and ordered the women out. From there, he just looked through and made his choice. They watched the lady at the center of the courtyard while all other women looked on. After the humiliation out there, she was taken up through what we call the private access to the governor's bedroom. Now, after the governor had used her, she was brought back to the dungeons.
0: After the governor had used her, she was brought back to the dungeons. And remember, right across from the women's dungeon was the male dungeon. Husbands separated from wives, fathers from their daughters, and mothers from their sons. They were separate, but close enough so each group could hear and see the other's suffering, while feeling powerless to do anything about it. The male dungeon was about the same size as the female dungeon. As we walked through it, there was a stench. And our guide explained to us that this is the remnant smell of centuries of blood and feces. I couldn't believe that the smell had lasted hundreds of years. As we stood there in the dungeon, a woman in our group just started crying loudly. No one else cried, but it felt like she was crying on behalf of all of us. Is that something that happens often?
1: Very, very often. Everybody cries. Yeah. White people cry. Ghanaians cry. Uh, African diaspora, of course, Mm -hmm. cry. I mean, everybody, everybody cries, yeah. We
0: left the dungeons and went back into the main courtyard. There, a guide led us to two much smaller dungeons. One was where European officers would be punished, and the other was a dungeon for Africans who couldn't be beaten into submission. Above each door was a different image, and Otto pointed out that you could tell a lot by looking at the symbols.
1: The Europeans here have something like a light. That is to say that you are going to be reformed, and the, the one that for the Africans what would have something like a skull in a crossbones. That is to say, death cell.
0: In other words, European prisoners would see the light again. The Africans who rebelled against their kidnapping and imprisonment would not. They called this the condemned man's cell.
1: And there they were killed by starvation. There were no giving food, no water until they died. And these are those who were fighting for freedom.
0: The officers didn't remove the dead bodies that often, so when they threw in somebody new, that new prisoner would usually be surrounded by dead bodies or people on the brink of death. And that cell was so small, the tour group had to take turns walking in. When it was my turn, I was overcome by the heat, the cramped space, and just that eerie feeling of being in a place that I knew was once filled with bodies. I was in there no longer than 10 seconds before I just had to get out.
1: And I tell people, imagine the, the emotional torture the one, a life needed to endure before death.
0: In the main courtyard, maybe 30 or so yards from the condemned man's cell, in the middle of all this evil,
1: the Portuguese built a church. Imagine the conditions they were in, in the dungeons. I mean, how could they even think of going to church? The church is this
0: two-story white stone and red brick building totally freestanding within the courtyard. It's of course not used as a church anymore, it's used as a museum space. We walked in and we saw the history of the castle laid out with artifacts, pictures, and timelines. Again, the Portuguese built this castle in 1482, and they ran it for over a century. And then around 1586, the Dutch started attacking Elmina Castle to hurt the Portuguese income from the slave trade. To the people of Elmina and the surrounding area who were suffering at the hands of the Portuguese, they figured the Dutch couldn't be any worse. And it was kind of like a enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of
1: thing. So when the locals got involved, they helped the Dutch. And from there, the Dutch finally were able to take over the castle from the Portuguese.
0: It was 1637 when the Dutch took over. And not only did they continue what the Portuguese were doing, but they expanded the castle and captured even more Africans than the Portuguese. And since they knew the capabilities of the locals, the Dutch fortified Elmina Castle even further. When the Dutch took over,
1: they built five forts, five, to protect the castle. So then the locals could not help any other group to get rid of them.
0: The Dutch ran their slave trade through Elmina Castle for about 180 years, with up to 30,000 enslaved Africans per year passing through Elmina. The Dutch abolished the slave trade in 1814. but They occupied Elmina Castle until 1872. At that point, they ceded the castle to the British, who had already abolished slavery, but used Elmina as a prison and then a police training center. In 1957, Ghana gained its independence. And a few years later, Kwame Nkrumah the country's first prime minister, declared the slave castles in Ghana as national monuments. His thinking was that this was part of Ghana's history, and though it was difficult to face, it was something that the country should never forget. To end the tour, our guide led us back across the courtyard to where the men's and women's dungeons were, and we went down a hallway we hadn't noticed before. The kidnapped Africans usually spent one to three months in Elmina, and then they'd be led down this hallway. At this point, it'd be the first time the men and women were in arm's reach of one another, but they wouldn't be able to touch each other because they were chained at their wrists and ankles. At the end of this hallway was a room with a cutout in the wall facing the ocean. It was about five feet tall and a little short of two feet wide. Our guide explained to us that this was the door of no return.
1: That is the point where the Africans were exiting, exiting the structure to go to the boat to be taken to the unknown lands all over the world.
0: That mother you heard about at the beginning who was kidnapped, she'd pass through this door of no return, the point where she would touch the African continent for the last time. She would never see her children again. But Ato made a point of reminding me that this mother would have more kids after she arrived in America.
1: Today, all those in Ghana, in in Africa, are descendants of the kids she had before she was captured. And all those in America, and in that sense, in the diaspora, are the kids she, descendants of the kids she had before she died. So then, whose ancestor went through the dungeon? Whose ancestor
0: went through the dungeon? With that one question, Otto was speaking to a really important point. When we talk about slavery, we almost always talk about the lives of Africans as slaves here in America. And then we talk about their descendants born here in America. We don't ever think about the trauma for the family members who remained in Africa. And Otto was urging me, us, to remember that it's really one family.
1: Africans are divided into two halves. And until the two halves come to see themselves as one, Progress for, the, for the people of Africa would take a longer time.
0: Everyone in my tour group probably had ancestors who were forced to endure months in a slave castle and then squeezed through a door of no return, just like this one. And I imagine for the rest of their lives, these ancestors of ours would dream about one day returning to Africa, returning to the other side of this door. They were never able to make this return. But here I was. I want to give a special thank you to Shun for sitting with me to discuss this difficult but important history. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. I also want to give a special shout out to my editors on this episode, Tanaka Muvavadidwa and John Delore. Our production team includes Dylan Therese,
3: Doug Baldinger, Camille Stanley,
0: Willis Ryder-Arnold,
3: Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson,
0: John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. My name is Baudelaire.
2: Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside,